0: Our scripture reading today is taken from the Gospel of John, chapter 9, verses 1 through 11. If you'd like to follow along in the Pew Bibles, it's page 949, 949. And as he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth, and his disciples asked him, saying, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents? that he should be born blind. Jesus answered, it was neither that this man sinned nor his parents, but it was in order that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me as long as it is day. Night is coming when no man can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. When he had said this, he spat on the ground and made clay of his spittle and applied the clay to his eyes and said to him, Go wash in the pool of Siloam. And so he went away and washed, and came back seeing. The neighbors therefore, and those who previously saw him as a beggar, were saying, Is not this the one who used to sit and beg? Others were saying, This is he. Still others were saying, No, but he is like him. He kept saying, I am the one. Therefore they were saying to him, How then were your eyes opened? He answered The man who's called Jesus made clay and anointed my eyes and said to me go wash in Saloon and I so I went away and washed and I received my sight
1: Good morning It is good to see each of you. If you're a guest, again, we welcome you. It encourages us that you're here, and we hope that we can be an encouragement to you. What a blessing it is to take the time to count our blessings, and I hope that that's been a rich exercise for you this past week. And if you weren't out of town and you were here Wednesday evening, you know that one of the great blessings that we've had to count was the service that was led by our deacons Wednesday evening. It truly was a powerful study and in uh, the powerful time of praise to God as well. And uh, we're thankful for our deacons. We have a lot of deacons that do a lot of work all year around. And uh, we just pause and we say a big thank you to you. And we appreciate uh, what you do in the Lord's kingdom. And we appreciate the opportunity you give us uh, to work along with you and to serve with you. We just had Capably Red us the beginning of John the ninth chapter that tells us about the healing of the blind man. It truly is a powerful story. And in this story, we can learn a lot about God's will for us in so many ways. Rose Crawford was a lady that was blind for 50 years. She had a very delicate surgery performed And when the bandages were removed from her eyes, to her dismay for the first time in her life, she saw shapes and colors and people and objects. The first word she said was, I can't believe it. And even though that sounds like a very wonderful story, the stunning part of the story is the fact that that very delicate surgery had been available and perfected for at least 20 years. You see, there was actually, according to the surgeon in Ontario, the surgeon actually said there was no reason for her to remain blind for those 20 years, even though he didn't know exactly why she had. Was it the fact that she'd just grown accustomed to being blind and didn't search for any help? Or was it the fact that, that she'd lost hope, and she just really thought there would never be anything there for her? Or was it the fact that someone knew about the surgery, and didn't offer her the information that it existed. You see, we really don't know why. We just know this as a fact. There was no need for her to remain blind the 20 years prior to that surgery. When we think about the story in John, the ninth chapter of Jesus healing a man from his physical ailment of blindness, we think about a very powerful realization That Jesus did not only give this man physical sight, but the rest of this chapter also tells us about the spiritual sight that Jesus was trying to bring into the world. You see, the reality is the healing of the man only takes up the first few verses of the ninth chapter. But the ninth chapter is long. And the rest of the chapter is the reaction of various individuals. The neighbors around trying to figure out, now I see a man that is seeing, but it looks like the man that used to be blind. Is it the same man? Or the confrontation of the Pharisees? They didn't want to give any credit to Jesus, and this man kept saying, it was Jesus who gave me sight, or even his parents, his parents that wouldn't stand up for him and Jesus because they would be put out of the synagogue. And finally, at the end of the ninth chapter, it comes down to just the man and Jesus. And what a wonderful combination. If we ever have to stand with just one other, let it always be that we stand with Jesus. But you see, the chapter break, we could say, is a little bit untimely there because when we go into the tenth chapter, it's still more teaching that Jesus is giving out of this setting to show us more I am statements. You see, here he says, I am the light when he teaches about healing of the blind man. But then it's in that same setting that he also says that I am the good shepherd. And just a few verses before that in John 10, he says, I am the door. You see, there is a lot of teaching that comes out of these very short verses where the miracle itself takes place. What we have to be aware of is we have to remember the very purpose of these miracles. You remember in John, the 20th chapter, we've been looking at it from time to time as we think about these miracles that John records. You remember verse 30? And truly Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples which are not written in this book, but these are written, why? That you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. Don't allow the miracle to overshadow the what or the who it was pointing to. It's so easy to get wrapped up in a miracle and think, wow, here was a man that was blind since his birth. What an amazing miracle. And yet the larger context is all pointing to the fact that it's Jesus you're supposed to see this and understand this and believe that Jesus is the Son of God. And then in believing, you would have life in and through His name. I'd like to take you first this morning to John, the ninth chapter, and then verse five. Notice John, the ninth chapter, and in verse five. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. There's one of the great I am statements that's in John. What'd he say? I am the light of the world. Where is this? This is verse five. What's happened in the first four verses? Oh, we're about to read them again and study them. But notice what's in the first four verses is the miracle. But all of that was leading up to this fact and to this teaching. The grand event of this occasion is not that this blind man can now see Physically. The grand event is that Jesus is the light that brings all of us out of spiritual blindness, spiritual darkness, and Jesus can bring us all into spiritual light. So don't miss the greater teaching as we see a powerful miracle. Let's drop back and let's read the first few verses together. John, the ninth chapter, verse one, now as Jesus passed by, we don't know exactly when this was, a very broad description of time there. It was sometime when Jesus was passing by. He saw a man who was blind from birth and his disciples asked him saying, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents that he was born blind and Jesus answered them, and we'll get to the answer in just a moment. Can you imagine the blessing it was to walk on this earth with Jesus? You know how from time to time you and I will study something or we'll be in a situation, and you'll think, I wonder what is the right conclusion with that? And, and maybe you go to somebody that you think knows the Bible very well, and you say to them or to ask them, hey, in this situation, what do you believe is the truth? What do you believe is the correct answer? Can you imagine how many times the apostles did that when they were on this earth? They see a man that's born blind and immediately they're thinking, oh, this is the age-old question. I've always wanted to know the answer to this. As a matter of fact, apparently as long as man has lived almost, man has always wanted to know the answer to this. And we have Jesus Christ right here. He can give us the answer. Jesus. We know this man was born blind because of someone's sin. They're making a false assumption, but stay with me here, okay? We know this man was born blind because of someone's sin. Was it his sin or was it his parents' sin, the reason why he was born blind? Isn't it interesting that when Job's friends gathered around him, remember all ten of his children had died? All of his wealth, the richest man in the land, all of his wealth was taken away. His supportive wife... And friends were no longer supportive. And even his health was taken away. And you remember when the friends did come and they sat in silence for the first week, but when they broke their silence, they continually accused him that if things that were as tragic that took place in his life, like the death of loved ones or your own physical health, has a sharp turn in it, or if, if possessions at, at one time were, were flourishing and, and now they're not, there must be something evil in your life. And you know, even though the book of Job does not answer all the questions that you and I can ask, the book of Job makes something very clear. And that is good and righteous people suffer and it's not because they've gone out and done some wicked thing. Now, can we suffer because of wickedness? Yes, because of sowing and reaping. That's very possible. So we're not saying that's not possible, but we're just saying that's not the rule of thumb. I've had a sharp decline in my health. God's punishing me for some evil that I've committed. I've had a loved one to die. God's punishing me for some evil. I've had a sharp drop in my finances. God is has... Pun- Listen, that's not the rule of thumb. I'd like for you to see it one more place and then we'll come back to the text here. Turn off, if you will to Luke the 13th chapter. Luke the 13th chapter, Jesus dealt with this with the disciples more than once. He's dealing with it here in John 9. And then in Luke the 13th chapter, we see him dealing with it again. I'd like for you to notice in verse one, he lays out a scenario that's on their mind. In Luke 13 and one, there were present at the season some who told him about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. Now we don't know a lot about this uh, from a historical standpoint, but we do know what said that there. Apparently several Galileans were slain so that their blood could be taken and put in some kind of sacrifice that Pilate was going to offer. And so Jesus says, I know what you're concluding. Look what Jesus said. Verse two, he said to them, do you suppose that these Galileans were worse sinners than all other Galileans because they suffered such things? Oh, you look into the area of Galilee and you see those individuals that were slain by Pilate and you say, you know what? Those individuals lived a more wicked life than the Galileans that are still alive. You know, when that hurricane hits one city, but it doesn't hit the city down the road, and people say, that city's more wicked. Tornado hits one house, but it doesn't hit the other house, and say, that family probably was being punished for some wickedness. Brethren, that's been the human nature. That's been the conclusion by fleshly nature for probably almost as long as the human race has existed. But listen, those that choose to be enlightened, so that's what we're studying this morning. Jesus is the light. Jesus can bring truth to topics. And so we're going to skip verse 3 here in Luke 13. We're going to come back to it, but notice scenario number 2. Look at Luke 13 and verse 4. Are those 18 of whom the Tower of Siloam fell and killed them, do you think that they were worse sinners than all other men who dwelt in Jerusalem. So there was a tower that fell and 18 men in Jerusalem. See, first we talked about Galilee. Now we're talking about Judea. And, and so do you think that if that tower fell and killed those 18, that everybody else in Jerusalem was more righteous than those 18 that were more wicked? And his answer to both of those scenarios are the very same. Let's read it in verse 5. It's the same thing in verse 3. I tell you No. But unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Okay, you want the answer to this, Jesus says? I can say it in one word. No. In other words, you're wrong as wrong can be. But Jesus says, I'll take this as an opportunity to teach you a very important spiritual message. You think that those individuals dying in that way is a horrific way to die? Let me tell you a much worse way to die. That's why he says likewise. You thought this was a horrible way to die? Pilate taking your life and using your blood in a sacrifice, a tower falling? You think those are horrible ways to die? He says, let me tell you a horrible way to die. Don't repent. Don't turn back to God and go to your death living in the darkness of the world. Don't let the light of Jesus affect you, change you, enlighten you. Don't let it be the light that shines the way throughout your life. He says, then you will know the worst way to die. So let's go back to John, the ninth chapter. In John, the ninth chapter... You notice Jesus answered in verse 3. Remember, they're asking, was it this man that sinned that he was born blind, or was it the parents of this man that sinned that were born blind? And notice what Jesus said again. It sounds like in the very beginning, like Luke 13, doesn't it? Neither. In other words, no. You're, you're completely wrong again. Look, look, at, look at this. Neither this man nor his parents sinned. Now we know his parents had to sin and once this man reached an countable age, he had to sin. So he's not saying they had no sin in their life. He's answering this in relation to their question. Was the blindness because of a particular sin that this man or this family did? And he's saying, there is no particular sin that has been done that has created this in the life of this man or in the life of this family. But that the works of God should be revealed in him. I must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. The night is coming when no one can work. As long as I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. Does that bother you? That punctuation in verse 3 has bothered a lot of scholars. A lot of people that feel like they've studied and they know the nature of God feels like that verse 3, the way it's punctuated is against the nature of God. And keep in mind, the punctuation out of Greek and into English is not easy to always bring over in the way that the original message is being conveyed you know how even in our english if you're going to just quote someone in english how if you leave any punctuation out or you change a comma to a period how it can completely change the message look back again there at verse 3 notice he said neither this man nor his parents sinned but that the works of god should be revealed in him and notice there's a period there that's all one sentence in the way it's written in a lot of translations You look at that and say, is that really what Jesus was trying to say? Oh, no, it's not the sin of the the father or the mother. It's not the sin of the man. The only reason this man was born blind is because God wanted to show his power, and so he made this man be born blind so that Jesus one day could be walking by and say, oh, here's the man that God made to be born blind so that I could show the power of God here. That just doesn't seem like the way God would work. What's interesting, here on this slide, if you'll notice, here's what some scholars have said is probably a much better punctuation, which is just changing the place that you put the period, is, is what it ends up amounting to. Notice if we read it this way. Remember how brief he was back in, in Luke the 13th chapter when they wanted to know why you know these individuals had died? Was it because of their, their wickedness? He says, no. Notice this. What if the answer is this simple in the first sentence? You want to know if it's his man or his parents? Neither this man nor his parents sinned. Period. But that the works of God should be revealed in him, I must work the works of him who sent me. While it is day, the night is coming when no one can work. You want to know why he was born blind? He did the same thing he did with Job. He did the same thing in Luke the 13th chapter with the the tower falling or with the, the, the blood being mixed with Pilate's sacrifice. And you know what the answer was? I'm not going to tell you. We don't understand everything why God allowed all of that to happen to Job. We don't understand all the reasons the tower fell. We don't understand all the reasons that that all of this happens. Oh, sure, we could go into some explanations, but the bottom line is rarely in Scripture will you see the Lord explain all the reason for suffering, for sicknesses, for disease, for loss. And perhaps it's too broad for us to understand fully. Perhaps it's too deep for us to understand fully. But he says, I can tell you this. If you're going to blame it on this man or his parents, you're you're running down the wrong path. But I can also tell you this. Jesus is saying that the reason that I'm on on this earth is to show the work and the power of God. And so here is a man that needs help, and I'm going to use this opportunity to show the work of God in this man's life and that is a very beautiful and powerful way that Jesus worked over and over and over when we look on this slide here notice how we have the works of God highlighted here neither this man nor his parents sin but that the works of God should be revealed in him what do you think the works of God are that that are to be revealed We mentioned this when we were studying back in John the 6th chapter. I'd like for you to drop back with me. Turn back just a few pages of your Bible to John 6. And you remember this is the teaching that followed the two miracles. The first miracle that provoked this teaching was the feeding of the 5,000 probably families with a little boy's lunch. Then that night, Jesus walked on water the next day the crowd gathered and Jesus made it clear, I know why you're here. You're here for a physical meal. And so the teaching began to come forth that that if you want bread, I am the bread of life, but I'm going to give you eternal bread. Well, their minds, because they're hung up on the physical things, immediately went ding, ding, ding. We've heard about that bread that just keeps coming. It's, It's like the manna with the children of Israel. So they were like, sign me up. We want that bread where every day we go out and the bread is provided. And this was the explanation here, John 6 and 28. Then they said to him, what shall we do that we may work the works of God? They're still thinking so that we can get this physical bread. And notice Jesus' answer here in 29, John 6. Jesus answered and said to them, this is the work of God, that you believe in Him whom He sent. The work of God is that we are to do the work of believing in Jesus Christ whom God has sent. It is amazing and disappointing how many people are afraid to call anything we do as it relates to our salvation a work. And I just want you to note something loud and clear from Jesus' teachings. Not from man's teaching, from Jesus' teaching. Jesus has no problem with the word work. As a matter of fact, he would say faith without works is dead. Now what he will make clear, very clear in Ephesians 2, is he will make it clear that we are not saved by our works. In other words, merited favor. You and I are never going to do enough to earn salvation. But does God require a response of us on our part that requires effort, work? Absolutely. Listen, I didn't say this. God said it. Jesus Christ said belief is a work. I want you to think for a minute, and if if you need to start on your toes, start on your toes, but think how true this is of so many around us, okay? I want you to think about the person that is highly dedicated to their career, and they're continually studying their career. They're studying about how to do it better. They're studying about the latest advancements. They are focused on their career. What if they focused that much time on learning Jesus? Can you imagine if they worked to learn Jesus like they worked to learn their career? Can you imagine what their belief in Jesus would be? You think about our students that go to school and they sit in classes all day and they take tests and they do projects. Can you imagine if all of our students gave the same amount of work to the education of who Jesus is that they do for a degree? Can you imagine then what the belief in Jesus would be. Are you listening, brethren? I'm not asking you to believe it because I'm saying, I'm asking you to believe it because Jesus said it, but I'm asking you to do this. Will you take this with you and think it over and study it over because the religious world around you is going to tell you something completely different about this. I'm just asking you to believe what Jesus says about it. And it's this. If you want to really believe who Jesus is, you're going to have to invest some work in it. You're going to have to study and figure out who is Jesus. And you know what? He's worthy of your study. He's a deep topic to study. But you can get eternal results from putting the work in to learn who is Jesus. And so in John the 6th chapter, when they wanted bread, he said, I want to tell you the work. You need to figure out who I am instead of figuring out, can you get a physical meal out of this? And when we look in John the ninth chapter, We see that whenever these individuals wanted to question about who who sinned here, Jesus said, what I'm going to do is I'm going to do the works of God. In other words, I'm going to heal this man physically so that then in return, we can then turn around and teach you spiritually what you can believe. That I am the Christ, the Son of God. And that believing in my name You can have eternal life. Now, do we deserve it? We're about to run out of time, so let me say it this way. When you read the rest of this, you remember that Jesus made a a mud paste, a clay paste, and He wiped the man's eyes. Then He says to the man, Go and wash. The man had to decide if he was going to obey. And it was going to take effort on his part. And so in submission, he decided to obey. And he went and he washed. He did the work that Jesus told him. And you know what happened immediately? He could see. And so now I ask you this. Did the man work in the sense of merited results? Did he deserve to see Just because He did that? Or was it a gracious response that God gave when individuals submitted their life and their actions to Him? Friends, please understand this. The Lord is not looking for simply an intellectual understanding of who He is. That would be one level of enlightenment. He says, I am the light. That would be one level of enlightenment. I know who Jesus is. What Jesus is looking for is the level of enlightenment where you say, I have learned who Jesus is and I devote my life to him. I allow him to light the path of my life. May God bless us in that. What I learned today... Number one, I learned the worst condition isn't physical blindness or painful death. It is to be spiritually blind. Number two, I learned that whether rebellious or apathetic or misled, the sun of our life will still set. Are we going to know Jesus when our life is over? Number three... Jesus' blood to wash our sins away if we're willing to obey him just like Jesus' power gave that man healing when he washed the clay away from his eyes. Number four, he washes our sins away in baptism. Number five, if the blind man had to wash before his sight was restored, does that mean he earned or merited his sight? through his obedient works. Can you imagine someone saying that? Jesus didn't have anything to do with that. He healed himself. He did this work that merited the restoration of, the, of sight. What do you mean? Well, he went and he washed that clay out of his eyes. Jesus is completely left out. If I talk like that this morning, you would say, I don't even understand what you're trying to say. That makes no sense. That's how much sense it makes when someone tries to say, well, baptism isn't for the remission of sins because then you're saying that that work saved you and you merited your salvation without the Lord. And all you can do is kind of say, I don't get it. Just because we obey the Lord, now we've earned it? No. Just like that man washed clay out of his eyes, He did nothing that merited salvation or merited restored sight. It was instead the fact that he humbly obeyed that he received a gracious gift from Jesus, his physical sight. When you and I come to the Lord to be baptized into his son, into for the remission of sins, we don't earn it. But you better believe this. It is a work that we must do just like belief is a work we must do and probably the hardest work of all is repentance repentance is a hard effort where we say I am turning away from sin and I am turning to the Lord there is nothing easy about that hard work of repentance doesn't mean you deserve to be saved it's still going to be by the grace of God that we're saved But it is a work and an effort that we must do. This morning, is there anything we can do to help you respond to God's grace? It's going to require effort on your part. You're going to have to be enlightened of what the will of the Lord is. But I'd encourage every one of us here to devote our life to learning Jesus. What a difference He makes for us on this earth, but especially what a difference He makes for us for an eternity. Is there any way we can help you this morning? Are you ready to be baptized into Christ? Are you ready to come back and be restored?